are you now? Is it letting you guys know? It yes. says, avoid legal snags by telling people they're being recorded. Allison is recording the call. How dare you? I do not consent. Uh-oh, stop <laughs> Uh-oh. recording. This oh, is no. over. <laughs> May I introduce myself? My name is Kolshak of the Daily Chronicle. Kolshak reports the bizarre, the supernatural, the unexplainable. You were getting another crazy story. This nut thinks he is a vampire. You know what I call that? Irresponsible yellow journalism. He has killed four, maybe five women. I saw that so-called super killer wipe up the streets with your so-called police force. They don't want any help from amateur bloodhounds like you. I've been a reporter for 22 years. I've been a police officer for 30. Well, then why don't you retire? Each man in the field is issued one of these. And, uh, one of these. Are you suggesting that we pound one of these into Skorzeny's chest? No, no, into his heart. Darren McGavin. The Night Stalker. to the Haunted Davenport podcast. Today we're going to discuss a classic made-for-TV movie, Kolchak, the Night Stalker. Um, With me are my usual hosts, Andy. Hello. And Drew. Hey, how's it going? And we are pleased to announce our newest co-host, Val. Hey. We enjoyed Val so much on our Lizzie Borden episode that we thought we had to have her as a regular fixture on the show. And we'd been planning to have her as a guest for a really long time, and it just worked out great, and she was willing to keep coming back. So we're glad to have you, Val. I'm super excited to be a part of it. Um, I don't have to complain to our mutual parents anymore that I feel left out. Aww. (laughs) (laughs) Never. (laughs) It's it's like everyone's in the family band. Exactly. <laughs> so for those for those who aren't aren't uh, up with up to date with all the episodes, um, Andy, Val, and I are siblings. So we have brothers and sisters and brothers in law. <laughs> sister in law. And sister in law. Yes. Sorry, it's it's a lot. <laughs> I mean, there's two brother in laws and one sister in law. Mm-hmm. Two it's sisters. Like, it's like the podcast, my brother, my brother, and me, but it's like my brother and my sister and my brother-in-law and me, and sometimes Louise the giraffe. Uh-huh. <laughs> or if we were a New Heart Show podcast, which is, you know, probably too far back for you guys to know about, but they always had uh, Larry and Daryl and Daryl. That could be a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um... Yeah, so for for uh, already sidetracked. <laughs> I know we haven't. We're already on a tangent, which is just what happens. So this is during a time of 
quarantine for some or just social distancing for others. We're in the state of Oregon where they're doing shelter in place because of COVID-19. And so if our audio sounds a little different, it's because we are doing Skype for the first time where we usually gather in person. So we are... Yeah, we're a crazy podcast that everyone actually gathers in one room. <laughs> we... Uh... We try and quiet all the stuff in the house and and get all cozy. Yeah. We're not so well. Actually, I'm very cozy. I'm in the same spot I always sit. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Your your life is your podcasting life has changed very little. So yeah, we we are all doing this through Skype. Um, if we have some audio glitches, I apologize in advance. That might happen. We're new to this because we're used to recording in person as a group, which is really fun, by the way, and I miss. But at least we have all this technology available to us where we can keep on with the show. So not that bad, but um, yeah. So we wanted to get into the world of Kolchak and I thought I could talk just briefly about why Kolchak is important in the world of science fiction and horror television. Um, We basically, if you're an X-Files fan, you have the Kolchak series to thank because it was a huge influence on the show's creator Chris Carter and it was also uh, written and produced by some of the giants in sci-fi and fantasy and horror television and movies during the late 60s 70s and early 80s Uh, namely we have Dan Curtis as the producer of this if you're a Dark Shadows fan and listen to our last episode you're going to hear all about Dan Curtis. Um, he was pretty much the king of horror and suspense and gothic horror in the 70s. And we have a screenplay by um, sci- science fiction, horror, and fantasy writer giant Richard Matheson, who wrote such famous things as the Twilight Zone episode, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. And he did the screenplay for the Night Stalker that we're going to discuss. He um, was also the author of um, I Am Legend, which yeah. is, yeah, I fascinating. Have, I figured you'd have a lot to say about Richard Matheson, Andy. <laughs> yes, he is, he is a very interesting writer, but we will, we will get to that. <laughs> and it was directed by John Llewellyn Moxie, who directed a ton of made-for-television horror and suspense and... Our good friends over at Retro Movie Geek have their own uh, Terror on the Tube podcast that I recently joined, and they have covered several of his films. So his name comes a lot up a lot over there. They, had, they did uh, The House That Would Not Die, A Taste of Evil, and Home for the Holidays, which is a Christmas slasher with Sally Field in it. Highly recommend. Not the one with uh, <laughs> Jonathan Taylor Thomas. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Different movie. And A Taste of Evil is not a satanic cooking show, I found out. But I wish it had been. Yeah, so all kinds of good stuff coming from him. And uh, this originally aired on January 11th, 1972. It was an ABC movie of the week. And it was a record-breaking uh, film as far as ratings. It had the highest ratings of any original TV movie on U.S. television at the time and held that record for quite a long time. And because it was so popular, they actually released it overseas theatrically. So this was a big deal way before all of our t- times, but uh, it, was, it was a big deal. So 
This is the first television film featuring the, the character Kolchak. There's also Kolchak the Night Strangler, which was a sequel to this. That was a full-length TV film. And then they did, uh, in 1974 through 75, they did 20 episodes of a series called Kolchak the Night Stalker, which I would like to revisit both the Night Strangler and some episodes of the Night Stalker as uh, we get down the road with more Davenport episodes if everybody's down. So um, this one is about Carl Kolchak, who's a reporter, and he's investigating a serial murderer in Las Vegas who is displaying behavior very much like a vampire. And I'll leave it at that, and we can discuss. Yeah. Yeah. Andy, you want to go first? Sure. Um, I I like how this movie opened because it, it it draws, I felt, heavily from kind of the, the procedural noir genres. Um, the story is narrated by Kolchak. He's dictating a book that he has written into um, a dictaphone, and we, he's recounting the events that have been... Um, uh, they, they, they basically, not to jump ahead too much, but it's all been quashed and covered up by the government. Um, so he's trying to release, you know, the, his true version of events and then never deal with it ever again. He just wants to get the truth out there in some form. Um, so we're introduced to him. He's uh, he, he's not like an ace all-star reporter. He's kind of uh, a little schlubby. He's kind of washed up. Um, he's maybe, uh, he doesn't seem like he gets along well with the people he works with. He kind of has a... Uh, every engagement he has with his editor is is ends in a shouting match. It seems like. Um, editor is named Bernie. Am I remembering that right? I believe so. Is I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I was just is that the guy? He's like the pool scene where is that his editor when he's like at the pool at the hotel? Do you I remember think that? The FBA FBI agent that he knows. Yeah, um, that's the FBI his, guy. His oh. editor, his editor is um, known as. Uh, I don't think they give his first name in this, but his name is Tony Vincenzo. Vincenzo. Him yeah. as Vincenzo. Yeah. He's played by Simon Oakland, and he is in the second movie and in the entire series, and they have this back and forth relationship that's really entertaining. Yeah, because because this maverick crackpot uh, reporter who's always got these wild theories about things that are going on and you know, the editor's always telling him to you know keep it under his hat and get back and do your job i have so many good quotes that i wrote down like keep your nose clean rare <laughs> blood disease high on pot yeah i love it high on pot or made of oh, hard stuff so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so before we get too further, much further, I try to throw this into every episode, but I forgot to mention, we are going full spoilers for this. So if you have not seen Kolchak, The Night Stalker, um, you can find some kind of lower quality versions of it uploaded to YouTube. It's also available to rent uh, digitally, I think for just like $2.99 through several streaming services. So we highly recommend checking it out. Um, if you're already into this podcast, I think it'd be right up your alley. And or if um, you're really into '70s fashion and these type of made-for-TV movies, you might as well buy it. You want to see gratuitous footage of old Vegas? Oh Definitely yeah, watch there's this. so much great old Vegas shots. Yeah, there is. It's just like Reno, like modern-day Reno. Right, yeah. right. It's so <laughs> tiny. That's kind of what I love about Reno. One, well, it was this shot where he turned around in front of an Arco, 
and they reuse that intersection with the Arco like five times. Amazing. <laughs> the Arco across from the Gold Nugget Casino. So, Val, this is your first time experiencing Kolchak. What did you think of it? So I was surprised by how um, not bored I was, which like <laughs> I like full disclosure. Um, the other hosts on this podcast are like very, very into like, obviously they started the podcast, like this genre of television in this time period. And I'm always coming in just like sight unseen. I know nothing. I don't know any of the actors names or any of like the, the canon that goes into really appreciating these like TV movies and this, um, these genre pieces. And I'm always like shocked how much I like them and like genuinely enjoy them. Um, which I mean, Allison and Andy and Drew have great taste, so that's not surprising at all, but I really love Kolchak and I really love how Kolchak represents this sort of like journalistic gold standard ideal of morality that just like is not very contemporary. Like it made sense at the time, um, because of like the heroic journalism of Watergate, but like it does not make sense now in a contemporary setting. Like Kolchak's like the last of the good ones. And then he has his like sex worker girlfriend who's way too young for him. And I just like love everything about him. I was like um, super taken by his like rogues gallery of contacts that he has. Like the real estate agent who apparently his main personality trait is that he loses at the cards tables all the time. And <laughs> the FBI agent who he refers to as the the god of guzzling my beer. Love that. <laughs> love that relationship for them. Yeah. I love how supportive his relationship with Gail is and how she like buys him a book on vampires. I know. I wanted to see that book. I wanted more pages from it. <laughs> yeah, I totally... It's been a while since I've watched this. This is going to be my third time watching this. And I kind of forgot that he had, like, a girlfriend in it. It's the yeah. only episode... Or only only Kolchak, not episode, and I was, where he has a girlfriend. I was so kind of sad at the end when I was like, oh, wait, he loses her. That's right. Yeah, it's really It's sad. like they had a really great you know, not quite the same generation relationship going on there. She's they were a cute couple. supportive, and I love that for him. And also, like, he doesn't mind that, you know, she's a night worker as the movie euphemism. Yeah, I love that euphemism. <laughs> they kind of beat around the bush there a little bit. <laughs> but, yeah, there was so much they liked about it, and I love how, like, Kolchak is one completely convicted in his opinions right from the gate he's like he's like reading the coroner's report or maybe he's talking to the coroner like after the second body is found and he's like it's a vampire and that's the hill he's going to die on for the next like 60 minutes <laughs> and you're just like wow that's entirely outlandish I didn't so I didn't read anything about Kolchak before I started watching it I just like assumed that it had something to do with horror or sci-fi based on <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yep. So I went in cold and I was like, what is happening? Is this about a serial killer that seems very real and probable for, you know, the materials that's covered? And then I was like, oh, vampires. <laughs> nice. Oh. 
So what you're saying is you're up for doing more cold chat. I am super on board with this, like, he looks like he is constantly waking up from the last bender he'll ever go on. And <laughs> no, if you, <laughs> if you really enjoyed this, I think you're really going to enjoy all the other cold checks because they definitely only go deeper down the rabbit hole of the cold check craziness. I also well, just feel like all of the side characters in this are all the same. Like, everyone is just Kolchak of whatever their job title is. So, like, the guy who's like, are you saying a dog did these murders? Like, that is just as outlandish as Kolchak coming in, declaring apropos of nothing that a vampire did these murders. You know, it's like mm-hmm. every single old man in this movie is the exact same person. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> That's great. I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I I figured you probably would appreciate the sentiments, and also it's it's really hard not to love Darren McGavin in this. He's just so great as playing this cranky and frustrated reporter who also kind of has a dry sense of humor, and he's always bribing people to get information, and everybody kind of lets lets things slide with him, even though they're annoyed just this one last time, you know, but... Right, because it's cold check. Yeah. Right. I love that. I love how, like, he is so open and upfront about everything he thinks and feels. I really strongly identify with that as an archetype. Nice. Yeah, I want to mention really quick the name of the woman who plays the girlfriend, Gail Foster, just before we move on. Uh, Carol Lindley played, played that character, and it would have been great to see her in subsequent episodes and films but sadly we didn't get that it's just we get a lot of vincenzo in the future so if you're like him well and in future like kolchek uh because there's a couple movies and then like the series there's one more movie and then there's 20 episodes but the episodes are over they're about an hour long each so they kind of and a tv movie is usually when you take the commercials out, they run about an hour, hour and 15 if you're watching it without the old ads. Right. So so really, there's not a huge difference. They kind of, we've but been like, finding that with Columbo too. It's hard right. to tell the difference between the Columbo movies and the episodes because they're all about the same length. Later on, you get more interaction with like the newsroom. So there's like different characters they bring in in the newsroom that yeah. are really lovable. Yeah, there's two characters in particular that you get once they do the series. There's Miss Emily and there's um, this guy Updike who does like the society columns and Kolchak refers to him as uptight. And just the, (laughs) the news, the newsroom dynamics of the show is, is kind of what makes that. Cause some of those episodes are really good. And some of them have some really um, ridiculous cultural stereotypes presented in them because the seventies, so they don't hold up as well. And also, I think the series had a little bit of a lower budget. And uh, Dan Curtis wasn't involved in the series. And there were some other people that kind of dropped out once they'd made the show. But the first film did so well. And the second film did pretty well also and was well received that it was like, oh, we have to have more Kolchak. So they churned out the series. And reportedly, Darren McGavin wasn't real creatively satisfied by the show but it is a good show and it's it's very watchable very entertaining it's just that occasionally you're going to be graced with some you know things like uh 
it's funny on, on Disney Plus. Whenever on the older movies, they say this show shows outdated cultural depictions, but I always feel like it should say <laughs> in shows inappropriate cultural depictions because it's not that like it's a it was okay it back wasn't then. Okay then. Yeah. <laughs> it's just I mean it's like let's change the wording here. So you have you have things like there's an episode where there's a um kind of like a shape shifting shaman who's played by Richard Keel of, uh, you know, Jaws from the James Bond movies in red face. And yeah. And, and he turns into a bird and a wolf and all these other animals to attack people. And I don't know, we can talk about that more when we're doing actual episodes of Kolchak. And then there's also one. Because Native Americans are magic. Well, there's also a, a, a voodoo. Whenever, whenever anybody tackles voodoo on screen, I'm always a little nervous and, you know, it's like, how accurate is this? And did you consult anyone who actually knows? So this, you know, but but there's some there's some great episodes. There's one that involves artificial intelligence. There's one that involves aliens. There's one I particularly like that involves um, a Greek priestess incarnate in human flesh, and she's using a singles apartment to uh, have sacrifice uh she sacrifices like perfect people to her gods so that she can live forever there's all kinds of really fun things i mean they would do it to her if they knew how right (laughs) so there's you know there's some really good stuff there but this this and the and the second film the night strangler are kind of like the cream of the crop as far as writing and production and all that go is the night strangler is that the one set in it's set in seattle yeah Yeah. and actually even though this is heralded as like a classic work of of uh, 70s horror and sci-fi and like like basically the pinnacle of like what you could get as, as a telefilm back in the day, I like The Night Strangler just a tiny bit more because I love the setting. They go into the Seattle underground and um, I I mean I like vampires and I won't tell you what what that one's about because I don't want to spoil it, but. We should definitely cover that one because it's. I was gonna ask if it was also about vampires. Um, no, nope. I'll just have to wait. You get very, um, very monster of the week as it goes down the road. So you have all different kinds of things, just like, um, just like with the X Files, and also this show had an influence on Erie, Indiana, and. You can tell whenever um, Marshall is talking about cases that happen in his neighborhood and he's talking into his recorder, he'll say, item, you know, such and such happened in my neighbor's house. And, you know, we'll we'll be talking about Erie, Indiana soon so we can have fun making comparisons. But you can tell that Joe Dante and the gang who created that show were definitely Kolchak fans. So. Right. His, um, the opening, starting with the exposition in the dictaphone, definitely gave me, like, big, like, Dale Cooper vibes. Oh, yeah, that too. Yeah, absolutely. And it's always nice to be reminded of Dale Cooper, who's, like, the OG good guy. Yeah. Yeah. As optimistic as he is, but, you know. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so there you go. It's this sort of, like, what do they call it? They call it like a seminal program that led to all these other things. And this is definitely one of them. But um, yeah. So let's see. It made sure everyone knew that spooky was definitely in. Oh yeah. Like the seventies were so full of supernatural horror and a lot of it's slower burn, which 
Val, when you were saying you weren't sure what to expect if you were going to like this, I think that's really fair because the pacing of the way things were written and produced back then is just really different from how things get even into the 80s and 90s. And so sometimes it's easy to kind of tune out or look at your phone or, you know, take off and go to the other room. Or like I mentioned when we were discussing before we started the show, I often will have this on or episodes of cold check or like other TV movies from this era while I'm working, because it's nice to have just sort of, you know, someone telling a story in the background, like listening to radio theater or something. Yeah. Although like it, it does, it started out a little bit slow for me, even though it like starts immediately with like, you see the very first murder happening while the exposition is going. And it's like a, a very startling cold open but then it's like it clips along like you start to meet the cast of characters you see how he's like interfacing with the police and like the local jurisdiction and how he's like the only beat reporter like he's like the last bastion in Vegas of print media and he's constantly throwing shade at the radio and the TV for like being behind him but he's like not he's in there trying to get his hands dirty and he like goes to the hospital pretty much within like the first 20 minutes to like go interrogate his contacts on the inside. <laughs> yeah. He's almost an ambulance chaser, you know? I love how, um how aggressive he is. Like they don't miss a beat with him. Yeah. The, the pacing early on is also very aggressive. This vampire stacks the bodies. I think he kills six people in the first like 30 minutes of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and one what? dog. And oh, one dog. Yeah, one dog. I, one of the kills that's memorable to me is the one where they find the body in the middle of the sand and there's no footprints around it. And yeah, I was just going to mention that. Yeah. <laughs> Which they don't really hit up that later in the show. Like, you never see them flying or anything. Yeah, they don't explain that away like they do with the bite marks and the... <laughs> I like how... Who is it? It's like a coroner or something. And he's at that, that, they're having like a press conference. And he's like, I think we should be looking for a man with a blood disorder. It's like, why? Why? <laughs> it's very specific. Like he's on board with the vampire theory too, clearly. But he's not willing to like burn his professional career to the ground. Unlike Kolchak. Unlike Kolchak's got nothing to lose. professional career to the ground like monthly. Yes. <laughs> He's like, remember all those jobs that got kicked out of Babe? Well, this is different. <laughs> no, yeah. it's not. It's never different with Kolchak. Oh, oh, man. He's, He's lovable. So but... when, they're, when they're having one of their first meetings where they're discussing the suspect that they have by the name of, was it Janos Skurinzi? Yeah. Then yeah. he's from Eastern Europe and they're they're talking about when he was born and how he has you know he it's an international case because he's wanted in the UK and they talk about all this background and things he was doing in the past and and they're having this discussion about you I mean we have like a 70 something year old killer throwing policemen and doing all these things and um they said that they were they were running this down and I had flashbacks immediately to this episode of the X-Files that I don't know if you guys remember, but it was called Tombs. Uh, yeah. I think the first 
the first one is called there's there's two episodes featuring this character the first one's called squeeze i believe and the second one is tombs but it's about this man named victor eugene tombs and Mulder is trying to convince everyone that this man has genetic mutations that enable him to go into hibernation every is it 20 years i think yeah it's like 22 years yeah and he yeah, and he extracts livers, and he needs so many livers for sustenance, and then he goes to sleep, and then he comes back up, and, and they're all, but he never ages, and so everybody's like, you're trying to tell me that this is the same person who murdered six people in the, you know, at the turn of the century, and then again in the 20s, and um, and it, when we were treated to this scene where they're giving the rundown of this man who's their suspect, and, you know, how could this be that he's this old, and he has all this history, and they mentioned something about him having, um, I think, a giant meat refrigerator. Which, yeah. And, yeah. So so I just got, I got really strong, strong uh, Victor Tombs vibes from this. I hmm. had like a burning question about sort of our um, unsubs sort of MO. So we see the bodies piling up, like Andy says, like in the very, in like the first 30 minutes. And then. Honestly, I feel like the last 45 minutes of that movie were just him entering the house of the suspect and, like, Mm -hmm. walking silently through the house. There's, like, very little diegetic sound. There's very little sound going on at all. There's no dialogue. He's just – that was such a long sequence, and I was like, where is he? What is going on? He knocked (laughs) over several pieces of furniture, but we'll get back to that. Right. This vampire is going around. He's killing – ostensibly sex workers um all of whom are blonde so i feel kind of personally victimized in a way um and then we see him like he we don't see him kill the woman with the doberman who man just like the steel look in her eyes when she lets that dog out of the back of her car it sent chills down my spine i was like this is she was ready to kill a dude yeah Right, she's like, I brought my murder dog with me. Back off, bro. And he hadn't really necessarily done anything yet. He was just approaching her. She <laughs> could have been asking for change for the bus, you know? Oh, if I had a Doberman, I'd, same same thing. I'd be launching that Doberman, <laughs> Doberman at people. Launcher. Oh, no. So there's a there's an old Farside cartoon. Right, where... that's exactly what just popped in my head. <laughs> Guy... This guy is stand. It says something. I don't remember the name of the guy. It's like it was like you know Richard Frozen Terrorist. He realized he was looking down the barrel of a Dobiomatic, and it was like this giant gun that launches Dobermans at people. I just she's got this like Ice Queen stare where she's just like I am ready to meet my fate, and you will meet my Doberman, and you will know him by his name. And then of course the Doberman like bites the big one, but we don't see her die, and then we find out that she's just, like, missing, presumed dead by Kolchak almost exclusively. But he's also the big scene. My favorite scene is the um, the ransacking of the hospital blood bank. Subsequent oh, yeah. right. out then like, running cops. That was quite the fight. It, it was, and it, it kind of comes out of nowhere. Like, this yeah. vampire's been so... <laughs> so stealthy and so meticulous in all of his kills, and then all of a sudden just some orderly finds him in a hospital. Yeah, you know, wrong place, wrong time. That lady just walked in. No, there were, like, okay, so it's presumably the middle of the night, because that's when he's doing his night stalking, and yet that is a 
very well-staffed hospital and Kolchak is running the night desk because everyone hates him. And then he's there immediately just in the middle of the melee taking flash photos in a very smoky alley. (laughs) Yeah. And also like, why is he robbing a blood bank? He has kidnapped this woman. He has fed on several other women. Like what's the blood bank? Right. Well, later on, when he goes in the house, too, I notice, like, the refrigerator is packed with blood. Like, yeah. top to bottom. And I was just talking to Allison. I was like, if our refrigerator was that full of food, like, we wouldn't have to go out to the grocery store for, like, two weeks. Like, real quarantine hours, who up? Right. Like, <laughs> how much blood is this guy drinking a day? Yeah, and it's like, has he always lived here? Or is he hopping from jurisdiction to jurisdiction? Is he going to move his meat freezer, his human blood bag, and also his backstock of blood? Like, what are the logistics with this guy? He doesn't seem like a very good vampire. Well, I, I have... Hmm? Sorry, go ahead, Andy. Oh, I was just going to say, I have a theory about that, because... Some vampires in other media that I've encountered are driven by the bloodlust. You know, if they don't drink blood for a little while, they kind of go a little bit crazy and they get into the blood frenzy and they don't really know what they're doing. They just got to feed, right? right? So maybe, maybe you know, he went a little too long without blood and he's just taken it really far, you know? Because he, you know, I mean, he managed to keep a low profile for like 70 years and then all of a sudden he just goes on this murder spree for almost no reason. Yeah. So maybe he's, you know, maybe he's... On he, one bad bender. Yeah. <laughs> Just like Kolchak. <laughs> Although not not low enough that they didn't have his name and files and suspicious stories of people dying around him. Well, right. it sounds like he just goes on a bender every, you know, 20 years or so. Maybe he was planning to relocate and yeah. he was stocking up. But also, I, I was just going to, Andy had a solid theory. I was going to make a bad joke about how maybe he's part hummingbird and he has to consume like 50 times his weight in blood in blood <laughs> instead of nectar right <laughs> well, all that all that strength to fling policemen around has to come right. from somewhere you need to deflect bullets you need to have a lot of blood in your system right. he's reckless and i really like my terror protagonists to be or i guess antagonists to be like a little more calculating like come on we can do better you're like a mystical presumably can fly vampire supervillain menacing old las vegas really impressed me right Where, where's the uh the dazzling of the eyes of the orderly that came in and interrupted his blood banks right that, yeah yeah he could have he, he, do, he doesn't mesmerize anybody the dudes had some practice it kind of seems like he was trying to mesmerize the lady with the doberman because they did show his eyes with that like that whole like Morticia Adams light the trick that we do. Yeah, they did that. And so, you know, we could tell that there was something shifty about him, or maybe they just weren't trying to show his face at that point. I wasn't really sure. Yeah. I think they just wanted you to know he was a vampire. Vampire. Vampire eyes. <laughs> were they were they light just the eyes intentionally? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what they did. I always I know that it originated with Bella Lugosi or at least I'm assuming it did, but I always think of Morticia Adams in the Adams Family films where they have yeah. Angelica Houston lit like that. Yeah, vampire eyes. Vampire eyes. Although she's not a vampire, she's just a vampy. Yes, very vampy. <laughs> Vamp eyes, just for short. There you go. I really enjoy the progression of Kolchak 
Because in this, he doesn't initially believe in the supernatural. He's just trying to uncover the truth. And the look on his face when he realizes, oh, no, this is, oh, this right. is, really, this is really happening. Yeah, we made a comic. Yeah, because... It's post the girlfriend showing him right, the book. Because when the girlfriend brings him the book, he's like, yeah, yeah, sure thing. I'm not going to really take you know, any heed in this. But then it was like the pool scene when he gets shot like 30 times in the back as he's scaling a fence. That's when his eyes get all wide. He realizes what they are really working with. Yeah, that that is a great bit of dialogue too. When he's talking to the uh, the police chief, he's all like, "Look, there are two possibilities: either this guy was hit and he was unaffected by bullets, or like ten of your officers fired several shots and missed him completely." I mean, I'm willing to concede that that's a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dang it, Dan! You loaded him with blanks again, didn't you? He makes a big show of how incompetent the cops are, like how he gives them explicit instructions and wooden stakes and mallets, and it's like, don't try to hunt him at night. And then he's like, I didn't let the cops know until I knew it would be dawn when they arrived, because they would show up like they always do. <laughs> like, he, like, his, his animosity towards this specific jurisdiction of police is really beautiful. Yeah, you know, he's not wrong, though. No. He's not wrong. No, and he, he seems to have a problem with authority in general, if it ever gets in his way. Um, he's he's very snarky to anyone in a position of power relative to him, always. It, it, it's, like, unmitigated. Yeah, he's basically a loose cannon cop, but without the cop part. Yeah. yeah. Both attitude, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yep, the, the reporter angle is interesting, because early on, it feels... It feels kind of procedural, you know, he's like he's following the cops around and the cops are doing their thing and they're trying to find out how all these people are being murdered and how this body got out in the sand and there's no footprints and what the hell is going on here. Um, but then, you know, he starts questioning his own sources and it, it becomes about the story and the truth needs to get out there. And he has he has this Mulder-esque tirade about how people deserve to know the truth. Yeah, I like where he he yells at Vincenzo about how this is news and we report the news and he keeps saying news in this really specific way. <laughs> it's the way he enunciates the word. It's just kind of a classic a classic quote from Kolchak. Yeah, I don't think that's something people are hearing down at the uh, BuzzFeed offices. Just a... It's <laughs> <laughs> news! No, the only reporter who gets to feel good about himself anymore is Ronan Farrow, like the hero and champion of the people. Other than that, it's like everyone else is just trying to make that 24-hour cycle. Ugh. Yeah. yeah. Pretty grim. They can't all be Kolchak's. Yeah. Kolchak was definitely from a different era. <laughs> Yeah, so, like, Allison emailed out this companion article to sort of, like, get us up to date on the history of Kolchak and, like, how um, pervasive Kolchak is in popular culture, like, of of this genre still. And they mention, like, this sort of hard-boiled reporter aspect is very of his time and of the time that this was airing on TV, like, when people trusted print media and their relationship to print media was a lot different and a lot more like you trusted the newsman to tell it to you straight because he couldn't trust anyone else. Mm-hmm. Like the whole identity around Kolchak as a character is very much like 
he is the straight man in a crazy world. Um, not quite, he's more a Scully than a Mulder, you know, like he just uh-huh. wants, he wants to keep people safe. He wants to keep people informed and above all the truth will be upheld. And I love that that's just like not a thing anymore. <laughs> but I like that it was a thing then. How comforting. Well, and Vincenzo questions his motive several times saying, well, you know, you just want your, you want to be at a, a bigger newspaper. And, but the thing is, you can tell that once he realizes what's going on and how it's going to be handled, he cares more about telling the truth than he does about forwarding his, or advancing his own career. So that says a lot. A big part of it is him trying to convince Gail to like quit working at night, which is a, you know, a quote he says all the time because he's concerned about him and the other girls who are, or her and the other girls who are being victimized by this person because it's not being discussed for what it is. Like the nature of the, the crimes are not really being discussed they don't really show the public at all, like the general public in this movie, which I thought that is such a thing that would happen in like a modern day, like telling of a story like this, where it's like, who's victimizing the public. They would definitely have like, like a lay person, general public figure be a part of the narrative, but we only see oh, it from sure. the procedural side. Um, yeah. All, all of the information is very insider info. It's yeah. a, none of this sees the light of day. Right. right. This was a cover up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they bring up the point too, the very real point that young women in Las Vegas from the beginning of Vegas have always been a commodity. And so if a few end up dead or go missing, that's not out of the ordinary and they don't really care, which is really messed up. But um, yeah, so it's, it's easy to cover it up and you kind of just get these, you always hear these stories about how Vegas was founded and its origins of, shady you know shady and questionable origins founding vegas and and how things just kind of have a way of getting swept under the rug and just become either legends or rumor hearsay and we were joking at the end of this that this is kind of the quintessential what happens in vegas stays in vegas kind of story because it's like oh yeah there was a murderous vampire on on the loose and don't worry about that that's not getting Don't out. Ask questions. We're going to cremate everyone and there will be no evidence. Fantastic. Which yeah, is that really is creepy. creepy. Yes. I was like, oh my God, I didn't see, like, I knew that it was going to be shady when, like, the DA or whoever that guy was offers Kolchak a deal. He's like, you can print whatever you want about this as soon as, like, the moratorium is lifted on the information. And like, only if you're right. And if you're wrong, you got to get out of here. And I was like, that's a shady deal. Don't accept that. Right. Knows he's right. And that's Mm -hmm. why he does it. Right. No, it was a lose-lose deal. And he still kind of trusts them enough to take it. And it's just like, nope, not a, not a good, just not a good call. There's such a naive optimism there. Well, I think it's because Kolchak is so honest like, his character is honest to a flaw, you know? Like, he wants the truth, and that's all he wants. He wants to put the truth out there. He doesn't care what it does. Like, a little white lie to tell, to, like, cover something up because it's better for the people, he would never do that. Yeah. And so he sees in them, like, they're giving him this deal that looks straight, so I'll take it, you know? 
because that's the way he would do it. Yeah, he can't conceive of, like, hiding this from the public because it puts people in danger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but when, if the uh, money stops flowing into the casinos, then you have problems. And they don't want that. It's kind of like in Jaws, you know? It's like, oh, keep it quiet. Hey, the tourists to be here. So I think about Jaws almost every day in <laughs> quarantine. Sure. <laughs> I just constantly, I'm just like, we are just living in Jaws timeline. All of us are the beach town. And everyone is the city's mayor who cares more about tourism dollars. What was it we were watching the other day? Hmm? You still there, guys? Yeah. Okay. Drew was trying to remember something that we were watching that was similar to that. But I I don't recall. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. It wasn't Piranha. We were watching a documentary that had Piranha in it, and that definitely has the same kind of same kind of vibes. But yeah, no, it's. I mean, there's actually there's a there's an episode of the X Files too. I think where it takes place in Vegas, and I'm totally blanking on what the plot is, other than I remember there's a Mulder rant that's very similar. You know, like you gotta keep. Oh, you know, what? it's not Vegas. It's Atlantic City. And it's an early episode. It's um, it's one where he encounters sort of like a primitive form of man that they think is the Jersey Devil, oh, and yeah. and he's yelling at the local sheriff because he's like, no, we keep that quiet, and he's like, well, yeah, God forbid that the tourists would stop coming and pumping all their, you know, money into the slot machines and the, you know, the roulette wheel might stop and then the town dries up, you know, we can't, it's okay if he picks off a few homeless people now and then. And that's, I mean, that's a real mentality that we deal with where it's profit over people all the time. And if there's a real problem, like, um, you know, PG&E causing a bunch of Californians to get cancer or, you know, people having polluted drinking water in, you know, the northern Midwest and lead pipes and things like that. They're like, oh, you know, we don't care. They they look at human life as somewhat dispensable. They crunch the numbers, kind of like there's that whole um, there's that whole monologue in Fight Club where he talks about how insurance payouts are calculated based on how much would it cost us if somebody dies and sues us you know it's like yep that's that's the price tag and this is very much this series taps into that vein very much I think I can't remember which one of you guys brought up the um the Watergate case or you watch um all the president's men you know there's this is definitely of that era yeah I like how like the the monster is a vampire but the real monster is capitalism. <laughs> oh. And Kolchak is the disheveled motel dwelling hero of our story. <laughs> oh. And he goes on to become a cranky dad who loves a leg lamp. <laughs> and he, that leg lamp is the hill he will die on in A Christmas Story. <laughs> yeah, because I don't know if we, we didn't mention that before, but, but Darren McGavin is, I think, known by a lot of people mostly as the dad from A Christmas Story, even though he had a huge career in both uh, 
theatrical, like stage production, and then being on television and in films from a young age. And he acted until late in his life. And he, you know, he, like we were talking about, he, he, um, he was a guest star on the X-Files later on in the, in the late nineties that you were saying, was it season five, Andy? Yeah. He shows up in season five. Yeah. And he plays, he plays, um, agent Arthur Dales and he's in a couple of episodes and he, was originally approached to be Kolchak, like we mentioned, um, in the series, but he didn't want to do that, so they created this new character, and and he's, you know, he was getting up there. I think he passed away, I think, in 2006, so mm-hmm. um, he wasn't around for that many more years after that, but he he was a veteran actor and, you know, kind of what they call, like, a workhorse actor. He just did so many things, but that's, I don't know, it's, he really carries this series and it also has that relatable, frustrated, every person quality of, you know, you're an intelligent person and you see what's going on in the world and you're trying to make things better, but you feel overwhelmed and you come up against walls and you're frustrated. The truth is out there. (laughs) So he's basically (laughs) Scully and Mulder, you know, he's like both, both in one. Mm Mm-hmm. So I I, like, took notes while I was watching, but I'm realizing that they're mostly just, like, all caps quotes. Yeah, um, I was going to say, you had a lot of quotes. Yeah. <laughs> context, because every single thing that every person said was amazing. No, kind of, <laughs> I didn't really think of it ever before, but you were saying how, like, every character was the check of their profession. Yeah. It is kind of that way where, like, they're all slightly character actors in this, like, movie. Mm-hmm. So everyone's really hamming it up and slightly cartoonish. But I think that really works out well for, you know, the the pacing of it and the style of it is a little more, probably easier to handle for a younger generation watching, like, an old show than some other old shows that are a little bit slower and drier. But I think the hamminess of a lot of it really plays well towards TV of now. The characters are really animated. Yeah. There's, you mentioned, Val, the, the guy who, the real estate agent who was saying, well, I'm not, I need to lose my last dollar before we yes. <laughs> go. And he, that's Elisha Cook Jr. And he, the thing I know him mostly for is The House on Haunted Hill He's the guy who's, he's the, the care, or not the caretaker, but he's the one who, like, inherited the house and owns the, owns the deed, and, um, he's, he's the you're all doomed yeah, guy. Yeah, he's the, the you're all doomed guy. He's very good at being spooky. And then, um, if anyone, crazy eyes. if anyone's a fan of, of the, uh, original Magnum P.I. series, he plays a recurring character named Ice Pick, who's, like, an old, old uh hardened criminal who's well connected who's always helping out magnum's friend rick and so you get to see him in that but he's classic character actor and when you guys were talking it just his face flashed into my mind i always <laughs> i always like it when i see him in those things. beady eyes are mm-hmm. great well he hides in the back of kolchak's car i love that <laughs> <laughs> Drew was kind of comparing him to um to clint howard he was like if clint Clint Howard could play roles that he played back then now, you know, like the kind of spooked old man. (laughs) What's happening? 
They got the same beady eyes, you know? Mm-hmm. They look haunted. Right. You know? Like, they've seen too much exactly. for their lives. Yes. And I'm pretty Definitely. sure Clint Howard has seen too much. Aww. <laughs> So here's a here's a couple of things like questions that came up while I was watching and it, it's you know it's neither here nor there but just more questions about sort of like the monster building because they're they set this up to become another movie and then a TV show so like they're like setting the precedent of like the existence of monsters among us right. but Kolchak very briefly sort of susses out that the thralls are also dangerous, which is why they want to, like, cremate all the bodies. But, like, Mm -hmm. it would be interesting if that had sort of been explored more. And I get that, that, like, the timing, the pacing of the movie did not allow for, like, an examination of, like, what if all the women came back to life after having all the blood drained out of them? But it is something that Kolchak brings up because he's done his research. There is an episode in this act in the television series where he does encounter someone who is a vampire who is connected to this original vampire. Awesome. That's amazing. So it does, it does come up. It doesn't it doesn't flesh out the details in a way that would maybe be satisfying to you, but it definitely is. They do come back to this story a little bit. It's more of a touchstone than, like, a sequel. Well, I think it takes place in Southern California, that one. Yeah. The, the series is, he's writing out of Chicago. So yeah. The second movie, he goes to Seattle. And we'll, we'll watch that and discuss that sometime. But then, um, by the time the series takes place, both he and Vincenzo are in Chicago. And the rest of the series mostly takes place in Chicago, but occasionally he gets an assignment that takes him out of the area. And I think that was one of them. Oh, okay. Um, follow-up question apropos of nothing. Is Gail crocheting in the casino? Yes. I believe she was. She, she okay. was, in fact, crocheting. I made a okay. note of that. Cool. Yeah, that's... It's the seems- 70s. Everybody had little handcrafts. Macrame. <laughs> Working? Like, she's wearing her work outfit, which is that amazing silver number. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of great wardrobe in this. Coltex seersucker suit. Mm-hmm. Looks how a mint julep tastes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was actually making a comment to Allison, because we were taught, we, like she said earlier, we've been watching a lot of Columbo lately. Nice. And I was comparing Columbo to Monk. And then when we were watching this, I was comparing Kolchak to Monk as well, and how the three of them, and then also, like, um, uh, Sherlock Holmes, they all wear the same outfit over and over and over again. It's like none of them care what they look like. Well, no, they have their uniform. They have their uniform, and then they solve murders. That's just what they do. They are eccentric geniuses, and it is not for us mere mortals to question their sartorial choices. Sure, that was, um, Einstein was that way. <laughs> Einstein had a closet full of the same clothes. Well, you know, if, you're, never did if your head is elsewhere, then you want to have your uniform that you quickly put on and you get on with your work that you're obsessed with. I, I can totally relate to that, actually. Sure, the only reason to change clothes is to not smell. Ugh. Yeah, so you have to have lots. I think my bathrobe is my quarantine wardrobe. <laughs> I just saw a quick news snippet that said, I think it was from the Oregonian. It was like, for the love of God, p- yes, p- 
please put your pants on before you go to the mailbox. <laughs> no, you don't have to wear your work pants, but you do have to wear pants. <laughs> <laughs> a, a stern but legitimate reminder. You know, obviously, you think that's silly, but there's reasons why people have to say these things. Right. Somebody's, somebody's taking it and running with the scissors. <laughs> So, Andy, did you want to talk about, was it the writer? Richard Matheson? Richard Matheson. Yes. Yeah, little? Sure. Um, he was uh, more directly related to Kolchak. He was the writer for both the first and second movies, but he was not involved with the running of the show. Um, but he was involved with several, um, like, sci-fi novels and short stories. Um, you know, he delved kind of into horror, speculative fiction, all that stuff. If you read his most famous work, which is I Am Legend, there's a lot of horror aspects to that, but there's also a lot of strange, like, religious imagery and um, sort of a, an anthropological look at how societies form their stories and what needs to happen for new societies to arise. It's some very interesting stuff that he does. But he was also involved with um, sci-fi television. He wrote... Oh, yeah. Yeah, he wrote for not just Kolchak, but he also wrote for... Uh, the Dead of Night, I believe he was involved in. He was involved with the Twilight Zone on a couple of episodes, um, and he adapted several Edgar Allan Poe stories for um, TV production. So we, we may have to watch some of them because he did The Raven and The Pit and the Pendulum. He also did, he worked with Roger Corman with his, his uh, Poe cycle films, I believe. Yes, yes, he did. It even, it even says... Work. Yeah, I was even reading that he uh, was involved with some Hammer movies. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, which which really startled me. I didn't realize that he was so involved with that. So when did he write I Am Legend then? That was in the 50s. I want to yeah. say that was That's 54. been made in, what, three movies now? The first yes. film had Vincent Price, where it was, I think it was The Last Man on Earth. Right. The yeah. first version of that. And then there's Omega then Man. Had... With Charlton Heston. Right. Yeah, and then there's I Am Legend with Will Smith, which was yeah. not not a strong movie. You know, that's the only one of those I haven't seen. I've seen the other two. That's <laughs> the only one I have seen. What was that? I said that's the only one I have seen is the Will Smith one. Oh, no. I'm pretty sure I went on a date in high school to see that movie. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> Oh, so before, before, uh, I forget, I was going to mention when we were talking about the uniforms for these different detectives and investigators, Drew had this really great idea that at some point we need to throw a murder mystery party where there's a mystery to be solved, but everyone has to dress up like their favorite investigator from either books or, you know, a television series. So you could have a Columbo and you could have an... Um, you'd have a uh, Mrs. Fletcher and you'd have a Miss Marple and um, you know, all the, all the classics basically. Wrote. Mm -hmm. That Mrs. Fletcher. Yeah. Oh, okay. Cause I, I call dips. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's who I want to be. <laughs> you totally have Kolchak in the mix. Cause he's, you know, he's an investigator and, um, you'd have, you know, someone dress up like Monk. Um, I was naming off some random ones. I thought, oh, well, somebody could dress up like a doctor and also Dick Van Dyke from Diagnosis Murder. Oh my God. <laughs> there was a series called Father Dowling Mysteries where there was a priest and a nun that were out solving cases. That'd be an awesome couple's costume. <laughs> Basically, most things 
you could find something in your closet right now to dress up as some Ms. kind of Fisher? murder mystery guy. Oh, I'd want to be Miss Fisher. Yeah. yeah. You'd be a great Miss Fisher. <laughs> yeah, there's so much mystery television out there. And I feel like I, I remember, and Andy will remember this too, our mom watching, what was his, Andy, what was the detective TV show? Um, Nero Wolf. Yeah, Nero Wolf. So I remember that, and I remember. Oh, Di- oh that one. I've never oh, the- even heard of that. Nero Wolf Mysteries were a fantastic detective show that was on, I believe, A and E for two seasons. Ooh, I'm looking that up. That's yeah, and it good. um and it has a young oh god, what is his name? He was the lead in um that heist show, um Tim something. Hmm. Yeah, well, so he, when he's did a lead. It come out? The heist show? Uh, it, it's called Leverage, and I believe it came oh, out. Okay, like, Leverage. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. Are you talking about Timothy Hutton? Yeah, Tim Hutton is in Nero Wolf. He's Archie. Oh, I really like him. Oh my gosh, you're so right. Yeah, it's fantastic, and he's so young. Oh, he's so young. R.I.P. Timothy Hutton's career. You know, he got me too. Yeah, as as they all do. <laughs> <laughs> yep. But hey, Nero Wolf, definitely worth checking out. A childhood staple for Andy and I. Yes. I, I've never heard of it. So yeah, I've any, never heard of that one either. If anyone is listening who, who doesn't know us personally is wondering, we all have the same dad. If they're like, wait, you guys are siblings, but you're talking about different mothers. No, make them solve the mystery. I could cut that part out when we're editing. <laughs> Drew, Drew could cut it out. I'm he not does cutting all the editing. anything out. That's too much work. No, it is. It's now, the <laughs> mystery is that I have a different mother, too. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta yeah. say, you know, it's a, it's a running gag. That's, say that's hey literally Leslie. a drinking moment now, I think, of this <laughs> yeah. thing, hi, Leslie. Yeah, Drew, you might be especially interested in Nero Wolf because um, he, the main character, Nero Wolf, is a gourmand, and he loves food, and the author of the Nero Wolf novels also put out a cookbook for all of the dishes that appear in his novels. Nice. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's like with Babish. Mm-hmm. When we were um, when we were watching this, me for the third time, Allison for I don't know how many times you've watched this now, um, but I was preparing some food and I was kind of like th- sadly thinking to myself that I'm not getting to cook for like multiple people. Oh, like because oh, usually when we gather, like I cook like a big dinner or something. So, I was cooking dinner for two tonight. Well, it was delicious. Mail me some food. I'm not ever going to say no. <laughs> I don't think we had steam buns, so I don't know if those would mail well. Steam buns. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we discovered, we discovered that there is a new Asian grocery near us, so we went on a steam bun purchasing binge. Cause was it... Callie Saigon? Is it the one on Foster? Um, no, it's like really close to it's us. It's on way out in Powell. It's on Powell, just as you're getting into Gresham. I don't remember nice. the street. Yeah. How exciting! One listener out there has any idea what's going yeah, on? Yeah. So sorry, <laughs> sorry guys, we're we're being tangential again. But you know, we haven't we haven't gotten to hang out in a while. Right. So. And we were excited <laughs> that there's a new Asian grocery store that's actually close to us. We don't have to drive all the way to 82nd. 
Also, you know, it's nice to find places that aren't super crowded to go get supplies during this time, and then you don't have to oh, yeah, worry about distancing as much, which is nice. We didn't even think to look for toilet paper. Huh? Oh, no. I think I think we're nearing the end of that nuttiness. Dear God. <laughs> Let's hope. Yeah. Uh, we were actually in the supermarket the other day, and when we were checking out, the lady asked us, she's like, Oh, we have toilet paper. Did you need to get some? Oh my gosh, that's so thoughtful. <laughs> that's so nice. She was the nice, nicest checker. Like that she is... noticed we weren't buying toilet paper, and she was concerned that we didn't know we had toilet paper. Or that I they love that. Paper. That like renews my hope. I've been in such a funk. <laughs> I mean, I felt bad because we were both in the store, but we had a list, and each had specific needs, and it was kind of a one day of going out of the house. It was very stressful <laughs> trying to get all the things done and then limit your contact with people. But yeah, yeah it was really sweet that she pointed that out and was like, oh no, we're good. We we're basically good. travel. Not because we've been hoarding or anything. Travel like stupid. conjoined twins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. We're always within a few feet of each other anyway, so. <laughs> we're not really spreading anything further than anyone else would. We wore our masks. That's they true. were terribly uncomfortable, but we wore them. We played Bandit in the grocery store. I know. Actually, we got some we got some drive up takeaway, and Drew put on his bandana <laughs> to receive the order, and I felt like it looked like we were gonna rob the place. <laughs> it felt so weird. I was like, you know, normally this would be considered very suspicious behavior. Right. If you walked into like a grocery store this time last year. Wearing a mask over your face, people would be like looking at you funny. Security would be immediately alerted. <laughs> uh, I guess it's a good time to rob stores. So it's, oh gosh, <laughs> so it's not all that. Listening, my NSA agent detail. Yeah, <laughs> turn us in. Oh no. Now, a podcasting friend of ours recently posted, he lives in Sweden, and they haven't put in a mask requirement for people going out there yet, but he posted a photo of him in an old Halloween costume where he basically is dressed like Jason from the second Friday the 13th movie, which is, for those of you who don't know, before he gets his hockey mask, he's wearing a bag over his head, so he has this, like, sack over his face with blood spots and eye holes cut out. It was awesome. (laughs) That'll be his official quarantine mask. <laughs> yeah, so, anyway. <laughs> Getting a little weird around here. But at least at least we're having fun and watching watching good quality stuff. We should. You know, we should take advantage of all this quarantine stuff and find a good couple episodes or maybe a movie about cabin fever. There's, yeah, the, there's probably... The movie Cabin Fever? No, not the movie Cabin Fever. Um, no like it like the like the theme for like a show or something because you know i'm willing to bet there's more than a couple twilight zone episodes about people going crazy in isolation or maybe maybe some sort of disease Mm -hmm. i just keep thinking about the thing that's that Mm -hmm. movie right here in antarctica yeah right well we did that we did that we did the x-files episode that homages that Mm -hmm. um winter before last and then we there's a there's a really gross uh virus episode of the x-files that we could do but i don't know if i want to because it's so gross 
Well, because, like, um, Retro Movie Geek did a bunch of virus movies recently. And, like, after listening to that podcast, I don't really want to (laughs) watch virus movies right now. Yeah, I'm not. I'm personally not. Because, like, they all regretted it. Although, well, no, you know what? They they did watch, um, speaking of something from the 70s, that's good. They watched The Andromeda Strain, which was a Michael Crichton book and then also I think he did the screenplay for it but that one's a really good interesting take on a pandemic that's you know they're trying to avert a pandemic in that yeah, one and there's a lot of protocol it's a little bit drier but slow burn 70s I really I really enjoy it I enjoy that one a lot and I enjoy um Westworld the other Michael Crichton 70s sci-fi movie that came out around that same time mm-hmm. you know we could always block a whole day off and just watch the stand <laughs> oh god that's actually old enough and the right genre that we could cover that i know i know <laughs> i don't know if i have experience with it which is you know novel for me have you seen the stand either of you yeah oh yeah gary sinise one mm-hmm yes m-o-o-n that spells the stand exactly <laughs> I watched it in high school with my friend Allie, and we've made fun of it for years. <laughs> we were like, oh, God. Well, Dad really liked it and had us listen to the book on tape once really? for a really long car trip. And yes. then yes. the made for came out. Yeah. yeah Molly Ringwald's in it. Mm-hmm. So, wait, you're. And Rob John Lowe. had you listen to the book on tape? Yes. Isn't there, like, some pretty adult content in the book? Probably. I mean, the Stephen King book. Yeah, Yeah, because Stephen King, like, in his actual books, not in his movies, there's some pretty raunchy adult stuff in there a lot of times. Oh, I know. I read the plot synopsis for It, the book, and I was just like, what? Yeah, that's disturbing. Same. Right, but yeah, no, J. Barrel was like, he. we listened to the book on tape, I don't remember where we were driving, but then when the miniseries was on TV, I watched like the first episode or two, and then I was like, is that Molly Ringwald? Because I think I might have been eight. <laughs> so was that was that around the same era of when he was listening to Great Expectations on tape? Because I remember <laughs> that. <laughs> Quite possibly. Okay, uh... yeah. If dad's listening. We need to fact check. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I missed, the, I don't remember that. I definitely was not around for the stand on audio tape. I didn't even know he liked any Stephen King. You might have been in college already because That's I think I was still in elementary school. Or horror, actually. I don't ever recall, other than Night Gallery, I don't recall dad. He liked Twin Peaks because sure. I remember the Angelo Badalamenti soundtrack being a facet of my 90s youth. He got that for Christmas the year you were born. <gasps> Iconic. It came out, I'm pretty sure it came out in ni- 1990, and he had the CD, and he played it all the time. He also actually, so yeah, I mean, he likes more horror than I than I think, because he, he had the Paul Oakenfeld Tubular Bells album, and that has the Exorcist theme on it. Oh my gosh! Classic haunting theme. That old person I used to work with would always play that album and the Exorcist song would just come on in my (laughs) office. Oh, that woman you didn't get along with? Yes! And I thought she was an insane person. 
That's really disturbing. I'm intrigued. Oh my gosh. Like, all, just listen to the Exorcist soundtrack no, like, so in the middle of the day. And then the Exorcist theme would be on it. And the first time I heard like George Bell, Georgetown Bells, I was just like, what is happening? And then the <laughs> next time I heard it, I was like, okay. It's just a thing. I don't think she'd ever seen it, though. So she didn't know. She just thought it was nice music. <laughs> I mean, it is oh, pretty. Yes. We're so off the subject oh, now, but that's God. okay. <laughs> what are we talking about again? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, because when you're talking about that, then I something else popped into my head that I thought you guys would get a kick out of. I might have to send you the photo. I was on Twitter, and um, we have, by the way, we have a Haunted Davenport Twitter in case anyone cares to tweet at us hopefully nice things so i don't have to block you sure so so i but i was on my personal i was on my personal twitter account which i basically just have to keep in touch with the podcasting and horror community which are a lovely bunch of people and i came across a tweet that somebody posted it was a photo of a really demonic looking lamb cake for easter and at the top it said it's an excellent day for an exorcism. <laughs> I laughed so hard. And I like retweeted it to my page just so I could go back and look at it later because I like it so much. So I'll just send it to you guys because, you know, our family has a history of lamb cake obsession. It's <laughs> <So laughs> it, lamb cakes all the time. Yeah. <laughs> We actually have thought about picking up a mold for one when we find one because um, we've seen people use them when they make tombstone props for Halloween. Oh, they yeah. Make like a little fake marble tombstone and they'll cast a uh, lightweight foam inside the lamb cake mold and have a little lamb that they can put on top of the tombstone. And it's very convincing. A little morbid, but, you know, that's well, what Halloween's know. for. Right, right. Long live Halloween. So we should probably wrap up since we've been getting really way off course. But Well, did we... We should probably we, wrap up the episode of wanna, Night Stalker. Well, yeah. So should we should we the, discuss discuss more in detail the actual ending? Because we kind of hinted at it. But if anybody wants to summarize how it wraps up. I mean, it... Take it? Yeah. Yeah, it, it it basically wraps up the last, I don't know, I would say half hour of the movie, maybe 25 minutes. Um, as Val mentioned, is Kolchak kind of getting to the vampire's house, figuring out where he lives, going in there, checking out his fridge, uh, finding uh, some woman tied up that he's been using as a, you know, a, 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 a feeding stock. And oh, um, okay. yeah. Um, and he apparently does this, um, he goes in at night just before dawn and he engages the vampire. The vampire figures out he's in there and they fight for a while um, until the sun rises and they're able to subdue him. And Kolchak, uh, right as the police burst in, stakes the vampire through the heart. And 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 so his reign of terror is ended. Kolchaks are the vampires. The, the vampires. <laughs> <laughs> well, both, really. Because <laughs> now they got Kolchak on murder. Yeah, the look on Kolchak's face because like they burst in through the doors while he's got it in his hand. He looks at them, acknowledges them, and says, "Yeah, gonna stake him anyway." Yep. <laughs> in and this front of all the police. The, there's a lot in this episode that uh, one of the episodes of the X Files draws heavily from, like directly, um, which I just saw actually. It's a season five episode called Bad Blood 
which involves a town of vampires, um, chief among them, Luke Wilson. Yeah, but the the dialogue um, for some parts of it are taken almost word for word from the Night Stalker. There's at one point where someone says something about having seen too many Bella Lugosi movies and maybe someone just thinks they're a vampire that's trying to, you know, fool people into, uh, you know, thinking it's the real deal. Um, right. And all, all up to the uh, Mulder being caught in the act of staking someone who may not deserve it. Isn't, That's very Kolchak. It's very Kolchak. That kid from the Sandlot in it. Yeah, too? he's yes, the vampire. Yes, it does. Yeah. He's the vampire that he stakes. And then um, that guy from the show Corner Gas, I can't think of his name. Brent. Brent. Oh, what is his name? Anyway. There's this fun there's this fun show out of Canada that's kind of like a Canadian northern exposure called called Corner Gas and the guy from that who's the Canadian comedian he um plays the he plays the autopsy doctor in that he's he, and so he's performing the autopsy on the kid and the kid jumps off the table and lunges at him <laughs> or as Skinner says well he sort of gnawed on him. <laughs> <laughs> Love that episode. We need to cover that episode. Yeah. I remember you talking about that when, like, I was in college, the Trailer Park Vampire episode. Right. So good. And, oh, my God, and Scully is so in love with Luke Wilson. Yep. Uh, Luke Wilson is adorable. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But, yeah, and um, oh, after Kolchak gets caught staking this guy, the cops... The cops really throw the book at him. They, uh, uh, they've got him on murder one because they're not convinced that it was really a vampire. And he, you know, got out in front of the police and stepped on all their toes and did their job for them. Um, so they basically tell him to get the hell out of town or they're going to charge him for murder. He did well, them a favor. Too. I think they yeah. know it was a vampire, but that's the way they're able to shut him up. Mm-hmm. they're able to say like hey Kolchak you can't say anything because the second you do we're arresting you for murder one well yeah. they gave him that deal too you could tell the wheels were already turning and we have a brilliant way we can get rid of this guy right it was a win-win situation for them yeah so Val you were saying earlier how like the last part of the movie was basically just him walking around that house. Yes. Like really fast paced and all of a sudden it's just him snooping. Yeah. And when you were saying, I was thinking about it like, cause this is originally airing on television with commercial breaks and stuff. That first part of like the movie is the total suck you in. And at this point they have them and no one's going anywhere, so now it's, like, just cliffhanger for, you know, the last half hour. And there was probably a couple commercial breaks in there, I would think. Yeah, they really just had, they had to, like, milk that tension, like, keep building. Is he going to find him? What's he going to find? What's going to happen to Kolchak next week? Well, they they run his girlfriend out of town, and he loses track of her, which I think is really heartbreaking. And well, you kind of see I that coming. Oh, I felt like it. I was blindsided by that. Particular. Well, because there's that scene when he like says, now we can get married, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like heading out the door all happy. And the second the door closes, if you look at her face, she has like the look of like, what did I just get myself into? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. She's not the marrying type. <laughs> Well, I think it's really good money, and he doesn't seem like he does, so. 
It's not like she would quit working, you know? Yeah, I don't think, like, I mean, it's... Also, he's a handful. Like, he's an admirable handful, but he's a handful. He's he's a good time, life experience story to tell your friends about later. He's not <laughs> husband material. That's fair. <laughs> no reflection on actual Darren McGavin. Just, you know, just Kolchak. Just Kolchak as, like, an icon... As an old man archetype. We were discussing after we watched it this most recent time how chilling it is. I mean, it makes sense that you would cremate bodies if you believed that there was a vampire that had attacked and killed these people to avoid having them come back because hence the lore. But there's that woman who was alive in his home and there's no mention of what happens to her. Right. At the end of this. She just disappears. Yeah. It seems very sketchy. Like, her fate was probably not good. Like, maybe the police staked her for good measure and cremated her as well? I don't know. I don't think she got the get-out-of-town option, though. It's kind of chilling. (laughs) What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Right. So anyway. I think that wraps it up. Yeah, but. that's that's a good place to stop, I think, unless anyone else has anything they wanted to add or you have a, a quote you didn't manage to get in earlier, Val. Do you have a, any favorite quotes you wanted to? Oh, let me pull up my document. There were some real <laughs> gems. I, I, I want to hear them. Okay, let's see. Kolchak quotes out of context. This can be my contribution <laughs> to drinking games. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> I hate to say this, but it looks like we have a real life vampire on our hands. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing in my back seat? (laughs) My notes are so disjointed. Baby, you're going to love New York city. Oh, that's so sad. That's so sad. Oh, I loved when he was reading through the vampire book that she got him, and she's, like, looking over his shoulder, and every time he turns the page, he goes, oh, ah. (laughs) Also, I love that the vampire book, as he's, like, reading essentially three paragraphs, yet turning three pages. Yep. It's also, like, the first three pages of the vampire book is essentially the entire cliff notes of a vampire (laughs) It's like he read a Wikipedia article. But did you see that? Did you catch the illustrations? They were really fun. They look like, um, I don't know, like art you'd see on the side of a carnival haunted house. You know, you're going to get on a dark ride and here's some vampire portraits to worry you while you're waiting in line. <laughs> wanted to see more. Uh, another really choice thing that I love is when they were referring to the potential murderer slash vampire as some screwball. (laughs) That was a really great moment. Um, let's see when they, when he's looking at the corpse of the young woman whose mother found her and he's describing her and he gets to 120 luscious pounds of her. Oh, gross, yeah. (laughs) I totally, like, I actually mentioned Allison. That was a quote to be talked about later and I forgot it. Thank you for writing it down. Yeah. That was so creepy. Because he's looking at a dead body. Her 
mother. And then he just says, oops. <laughs> yeah. But he's not sorry. Oh, oh my god. I died. I just died. Just like alone in my apartment. Just being like. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yes. Um, and then my final favorite quote is when his editor, Vincenzo, like, Kolchak is going off on his, like, integrity of the press. Like, this is what news is, Vincenzo. And Vincenzo's like, you're going to toe the line on this and stop alienating everyone. Capiche? <laughs> he's Italian. He's Italian. Hey. Yeah, and so those are all of my favorite Kolchak quotes in no particular order. I like that. Thanks, Val. You're, <laughs> you're welcome. Qu- quotes are always a good time because there's sometimes they they can just make you stop and think about wait what is, what is this I'm watching <laughs> or you know if somebody hasn't seen this yet it might help pull them in. What is what is this fabulous weirdness we're discussing? Yeah, if they get an hour and 30 minutes into our podcast and they're like, this is what I came for. <laughs> 120 luscious pounds. Well, now I've got to watch it. <laughs> oh, that poor girl. Oh, I know. Was she the one that was dropped in the middle of a field or... I don't remember, but that really sounds like a Hannibal Lecter quote, like, honestly. Yeah. Like, she was having them for dinner or her own backyard because her mother thought that she was necking with the vampire and she's oh like, right Aww. yeah that's upsetting it is upsetting that poor community they're just shook by this well yeah. when you see your daughter out in the backyard with a gentleman your first thought is not that that's a vampire and he's trying to drain her blood at least you know not in our neighborhood Maybe maybe in some parts of the world that's a normal occurrence. <laughs> Things are pretty rough here in Northeast Portland, so I, you know, we gotta keep, Aww. we gotta protect our own, you know. You gotta watch out for that Unipiper man. We <laughs> <laughs> live in fear. He usually sticks to the east or the west side. That's true. He's there for the tourists. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Oh. Well, guys, let's let's wrap this one up. But that was a drink for Portland, by the drink way. Drink for Portland, yes. <laughs> drink for Portland. Is that one of the things people are supposed to drink for? Mentioning Portland, yeah. Sure. Okay. Well, I didn't. I didn't drink out of my coffee cup, but sure. You I want ran to drink out of water Portland. a while, while ago. We didn't. We didn't mention Star Wars, Hollywood theater, or movie madness in this episode. But wait, I just did. So. Yeah, but that doesn't count. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening. As always, we appreciate it. And we hope you had a good time with our discussion about Cold Shack the Night Stalker. And we'll be revisiting the world of Cold Shack in the future, for sure. Um, I think next up on our list is Erie, Indiana, which definitely was influenced by this show. And that's fun early 90s childhood nostalgia for a lot of us so, so. a very good follow-up to this episode yeah and if you're interested um in checking out that show in advance if you haven't seen it before and you um, have amazon prime that's one of the easiest ways to see the show it's hard to find on dvd because it's out of print so um if you want to check it out, it's on Amazon Prime, free with Prime membership. All of the episodes are there. And, and if you have Prime membership, watch it 
now if you want to watch it in the near future because it keeps going away from Prime. And it's coming one that back gets again. taken down and then put back up on on their list of things you can watch. I'm not sure what that's about, but I guess it has less of a following. But if you you know want to delve into what a show that was dubbed as X Files for kids, it's a fun time and it's definitely something you could watch with kids because right. it's geared towards them. If you want to get your kids hooked on X-Files and Kolchak, start them here. But you don't want them to have nightmares. It's a it's a <laughs> it's a gateway X-Files. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it was produced and created by Joe Dante, who is a wonderful director who made Being a Kid in the 80s pretty awesome with things like Gremlins, The Burbs, and The Burbs. Oh. <laughs> Although, is that technically a 90s film that came out in 1990? Uh, I'm not Doesn't sure. matter. Anyway, Joe Dante... But as an 80s kid. ...is, is a personal hero of yeah. ours, so we salute you. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> we're going to wrap that up. Um, thanks again. You can check things out on our website, uh, thehaunteddavenport.com, where we post links and photos and show notes for each of our episodes. We'll be bringing you some more bonus episodes about Dark Shadows, where Drew and I go through all of the Dark Shadows episodes and storylines and have a fun discussion about that. And one then, by one, shot for shot. No. <laughs> no, that is not what's happening. We're going to be doing this until our 90s. And then, and then we'll be back soon talking about some Eerie Indiana with our new co-host, Val. Welcome, Yay. Val. Yay. All right, well... Stay safe, guys. Keep keep your distance from each other until it's safe to do t- so, and even afterwards, probably, because, I don't know, people are scary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you never know who's the vampire. Right. And, and you know, don't, don't get too down. I know things seem scary out there, but we are, are going to be okay, and um, we're all here for a listening community, and we appreciate you, and we want you all to stay safe and healthy. You got plenty of time to catch up and watch all those great horror TV shows from the past. But, you know, maybe get up and take a stretch break once in a while. Sure. Anyway. uh, And put on pants to get the mail. (laughs) Seriously. All (laughs) All the best from us at the Haunted Davenport, and we will see you next time. Bright light city gonna set my soul, gonna set my soul on fire. Got a whole lot of money that's ready to burn, so get those stakes up higher. There's a thousand pretty women waiting out there. They're all living the devil may care. And I am just a devil with love to spare. So Viva Las Vegas. Viva Las Vegas. How I wish that there were more than the 24 hours in the day. Even if there were 40 more, I wouldn't sleep a minute away. Oh, there's blackjack and poker and the roulette wheel. A fortune won and lost on every deal. All you need is strong heart and a new steel. Viva Las Vegas! Viva Las Vegas! Viva Las Vegas with your neon flashing and your one-armed bandits crashing. Almost holds down the drain. Fever, Las Vegas, turning day into nighttime, turning night into daytime. If you see it once, you'll never be the same again. I'm gonna 
keep on the run I'm gonna have me some fun If it cost me my very last dime If I wind up broke Well, I'll always remember that I had a swing in time I'm gonna give it everything I've got Lady, look, please let the dice stay hot Let me shoot a seven with every shot Viva! Viva! 